Hey everybody, welcome back to We Are Movies. As always, I'm Johnny Mockney, and if you know me, you know that I am a believer in the arbitrariness of numbers, and for that reason, I don't really think a 50th episode should be any more important than any other episode. That being said, here we are on the 50th episode of We Are Movies, and it's a very special one. Um, It's a good double-guested episode. I have two wonderful guests, both great comics and huge film buffs and uh, good friends of the show. Um, Mike Bobbitt and Brett Hayden joined me for a conversation about the Criterion Collection, which if you're a massive film nerd, uh, odds are you know the Criterion Collection. There's good, good odds that you've uh, purchased the streaming service or that you've just been suckered into paying an obscene amount of money for many of their DVDs and or Blu-rays. So um, if you've been waiting for this, here you go. It's only natural that we would finally get to it. Um, Mike, Brett, and I each uh, pitched five movies that we think should be added to the Criterion Collection. Just went around in a circle and uh, hopefully... Um, they'll hear us and, you know, um, pay attention to our needs for once. So without any further ado, please enjoy this very special episode of We Are Movies. So as always, I'm Johnny Mockney, um, and... The first person to have shown up in our chat today is... It's me, Mike Bobbitt. (laughs) Yay. I'm super famous. (laughs) He is. I'm going to be the dumb one and the guy who probably stutters a lot and hopefully doesn't breathe too heavily into my (laughs) microphone. But but it's okay if you do because uh, you're on to much much bigger and better things besides this this movie podcast. So as the famous person, you get that leeway. Yeah, but you have. Well, I shouldn't say yeah, but <laughs> thank you. But I have been looking forward to this since you guys proposed it and dreading it because you guys are both super intelligent. But instead <laughs> of just me saying you both, uh, the third musketeer. I'm Brad Hayden. I know the famous guy, Mike Bobbitt. <laughs> um, that's your comedy bio, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah um, no mention of my accomplishments. Well, actually, pretty much all comedy bios are just name dropping people you've worked with. So it is by basically just saying these are famous people I either know or have worked with. (laughs) Until you've done a bunch of stuff, because my bio now just kind of lists credits, you know, WTF podcast, uh, (laughs) Ed Sheeran music video. I guess it is still name dropping. Never mind. (laughs) If you say, as long as you say WTF with Mark Maron, then it's name. You're right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. And then mention everybody else who was on the episode as well. Just uh, Yeah. 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 As I was saying that, I was like, I, I'm joking, but then the more I thought about it, I was like, no, bios really are just name-dropping people. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> and places. Yeah. Um, definitely. I think that's why I got into comedy is because I'm a notorious name-dropper, and now because <laughs> I have to write my bio a lot, um, <laughs> I can just name-drop and it just... I, I don't know. That's what Jimmy Pardo said to me once. <laughs> 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 well, um, 
I am uh, sitting here with uh, Mike Bobbitt, previous guest of the WTF podcast, and uh, Brett Hayden, friend of Mike Bobbitt, and um, all three <laughs> and practically of us. your co-host on the show too. <laughs> practically, yeah, yeah, yeah. regular <laughs> contributor, I guess, <laughs> yeah. at this point. Um, and uh, and that's because Brett famously at the end of every single episode we've done together has pitched what the next episode should be, um, and I, we have to follow through on those promises. Yeah, but I did that with Strange Brew, and you still haven't had me on for a second episode. <laughs> we, we will do Strange Brew. I, I promise. Um, after this, uh, after this detour, um, but this is important because I think out of all of the comedians that I've had on, uh, you two are probably the most movie people type of comedians that I've had. Uh, people that I think actively. Um, I mean, Mike obviously has two other movie podcasts. Um, and, uh, and so, um, this is sort of like in Avengers kind of this assembly in this episode. <laughs> a little bit. My superpower <laughs> is if Mike tells me his collaborative idea, then I just have to say it at the end of the episode and it will happen. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, so today we're talking about, uh, we're, we're each sort of offering, our choices for what should be in the Criterion Collection. Um, this is sort of a timely episode because the Barnes & Noble sale, the first Barnes & Noble sale of this year is about to wrap up, but the second one does come in November, so this will give, uh, the, uh, hopefully it'll maybe start ma- making Criterion think uh, before then, <laughs> if we get them to listen. I need to find a Barnes & Noble near me. I knew where one was when I lived in Troy, but now that I live in Canton, I don't know where the closest Barnes & Noble is. Oh, yeah. it's. I think you got a couple <clears throat> days left. So, okay. Um, yeah, if you're... If you're uh, if you're here, I actually have... I, I, I was stacking my microphone on some Criterions that Ooh. I got that I haven't filed away yet. <laughs> um, Let's see. But I believe we've each chosen five... Um, yes. With, with maybe some honorable mentions that we'll run through later. Um, none of us knows what the other person's going to say, so there could be some crossover, uh, which will be fun. Uh, maybe some of us will be very disappointed at something that another person chooses, which I'm also looking forward to. Um, Waterworld is not on my list, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> um, but Waterworld is a movie that could be because there is so much extra stuff. Yes. Well, uh, luckily, Arrow Video just uh, released like a collector's edition with the Ulysses cut and all of that stuff on it. Oh, wow. So that Arrow Video is like criterion for, um, I don't know, the nicest, nicer way to say uh, junk. Okay. <laughs> it's criterion for the stuff that the film professors don't teach. Um, that's it's right. But it's doesn't know what it is. Yeah, it's Criterion for stuff that Riff Tracks would do a live show for, I feel like. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> is it somewhere yeah. in between Criterion and Shout Factory? It is, because sometimes okay. there's some more prestige things on Arrow that I'm like, oh, they just they, they nabbed that before Criterion could. Because um, my honorable mention list is sort of my Shout Factory wish list. <laughs> okay. Well, that's yeah. You know what's interesting is... Uh, Sometimes they come very close to crossing over, like uh, Criterion yeah. released Scanners, and then Shout Factory released Scanners 2 and 3. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, they did their best 
um, in terms of getting there first. But um, I think if it's okay with everybody, we'll start with uh, we'll go through our choices. We'll each just give our first and then our second and our third, fourth, fifth, um, starting with Mike, then Brett, then me. If that uh, works okay. for everybody. Are we going to start with our first, our highest, or our fifth highest? Uh, start with your fifth highest, I guess. Okay, good, good, good. Um, mine is a 1983 Ralph Bakshi movie, Fire and Ice. It is a lesser-known uh, rotoscope animated movie that I really liked a lot as a kid. I, you know, the early 80s were that sword and sorcerer well sword and sorcerer is another one of those movies in that genre uh kind of um you know fantasy movies with the rise of dungeons and dragons shortly before that and fire and ice i really enjoyed a lot and i've seen a lot of still pictures from the making of it and how the rotoscope animation was done and uh, i don't think it's ever gotten a really proper release and I, I think it could be a good criterion release. Yeah, I actually haven't seen Fire and Ice. I am a Ralph Bakshi fan because I have I'm not seen like Wizards. Yeah, neither have I. Oh wow. Um I am a Wizards fan though. So mm-hmm. I'm sure so there's precedent to me liking his his films. Um there's a lot more boobies. <laughs> well, <laughs> Even though Fire and Ice is rated PG. Um <laughs> It's, uh, I mean, they're cartoon booby. It, it's, it's almost like Frozen, but for <laughs> guys in their 40s now, I guess. I don't know. It's like Dude Frozen. <laughs> That's a good way to sell it, I think. Yeah. Um, Brett's a fan of Frozen, so I'm sure. I like you, it. Yeah. Um, yeah, I like Frozen. I do too. I like that because it's dude frozen. It gets the cri- It should get the criteria. <laughs> um, I looked up the poster and I already know I'm going to like it because it's one of those posters that it looks like the only existing copy has clear folds in the, in it. Um, mm-hmm. And when your the sole uh, reproduction of your poster has folds in it, as though you couldn't find a copy that yeah. hadn't been folded up six times. Uh, that's and usually something I like. The cover art has that really cool, like, I, it's probably Frank Frazetta. If it's not Frank Frazetta, then it's a Frank Frazetta ripoff um, <laughs> artwork. And, yeah, it's it's a really, the character designs are pretty cool. Um, yeah, that's incredible. A lot of loincloths. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yep. yeah. I'm sold. Adding this to the watch list. Yeah. Okay. At first glance, it has like a heavy metal, the movie sort of vibe, like the animation yeah. style. Mm-hmm. Probably somewhere between wizards and heavy metal in terms of boobs uh, and, and adult content. Right. Because heavy metal <laughs> has a lot of boobs. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. The, the progression of manhood is going from wizards <laughs> to fire and ice and then heavy metal. <laughs> yes. <laughs> All right, Brett, uh, what's your number five choice? Uh, I'm going to be honest. I don't really have these in any sort of order. Uh, once I started ranking them, I think it got way too hard. And then it became like <laughs> my top five became like, no, well, now I have to do a top 10. So I just kind of did the first five that came to mind. Uh, first one is I'm a big fan of film noir. So I kind of this is the oldest movie on my list. I'm going with Double Indemnity. Oh, OK, so well, it's yeah, a classic. It's 
Great. Starring, uh, I took a couple notes just so I could kind of have some reference here. Starring uh, Fred McMurray and Barbara Stanwyck, and it's written and directed by the great Billy Wilder, who most right. people know from uh, Some Like It Hot, uh, Sunset some- Boulevard. The Apartment. Yep. yep. I think that was his most, at least, like, most recognized movie, just because I think it won Best Picture that year, I believe. Yeah. I, I'm I, Honestly, when you said Double Indemnity, I was surprised. And at first I thought, oh, no, he didn't understand the point of the episode, because I just assumed it was part of, it was already on Criterion. Like, I, that, that was just my, yeah. it's one of those movies you'd, I'm I'm kind of shocked they haven't gotten to it yet because they do love Noirs on Criterion and then they do love Billy Wilder. They have released yeah. like it hot. When I looked at his filmography, I was like genuinely surprised. Like, I mean, I also forgot just how many great movies Billy Wilder made. Yeah. But Double Indemnity is like a personal favorite of mine. And the thing about it is, uh, and I'm sure you guys like or have seen film noir. I think it might be. I know some people think. Uh, for naming other movies here, some like Maltese Falcon better, but I think Double Indemnity is still to this day is my favorite, just in terms of the dialogue, the way they shoot it. Like if there was like a poster child for film noir and why you should check it out, I think Double Indemnity is like one of the more accessible movies. And yeah. also, because we're talking about Criterion, and the reason I like Criterion so much is uh, it's keeping physical media alive. Mm-hmm. Which, you know, with the the rise of streaming services, I can just imagine all the cool box sets that can come up with just based off scenes from Double Indemnity. Like the infamous scene where uh, Barbara Stanwyck's behind the door, you know, and right. uh, yeah. So just like I'm picturing in my head just like these iconic scenes and like how that could translate to a like a like a physical media, like a box set sort of thing. Because part of the reason I think uh, Criterion has so much longevity is uh, not just the quality of the film, but the packaging, too. Like, that's part of it. Like, that's what you're paying $40 for unless there's a Barnes & Noble sale. (laughs) Oh, yeah. The uh, packaging for Repo Man that you gave me, Brett, is just phenomenal. Yeah. The Criterion collection. Dude, yeah. uh, I was about to tell you. I'm glad you brought that up. Uh, side note, uh, I was on Amazon a couple days ago looking at Criterions and I, that's a rare one now that like goes oh, for like, a, it goes really? for like a hundred dollars on Amazon right now. I've got you that had, one too. I'm glad I got there. <laughs> you had a second copy, right? Brett, that's why you gave me one, right? No, you I just, just, I was, I sold every like physical copy of a movie so I can move. Oh no. <laughs> no, dude. I'm like so happy it's in your hands instead of some asshole who was going to sell it at disc replay okay <laughs> so well i treasure it i just want you to know i totally treasure it oh so. no that's why i'm happy okay. you have it <laughs> okay i felt very guilty oh no when i just saw it because i like i saw i was making like a wish list to, like because there was a lot of new ones that i wasn't aware of and then i was just like i wonder if you could still get repo mad on here and then i looked and like even the just the dvd version goes for like 92 dollars on amazon wow it's insane well that, that is they they always they choose those more special ones to be like in a cardboard box uh and it unfolds and then there's more artwork underneath and repo man was one of those yeah um, and i just recently i i got the shock corridor one um Samuel Fuller movie and that one uh, 
they took like the dream sequences in that movie and like the it, you wouldn't you could look at the cover and then look at the main menu and you wouldn't know that it's like a black and white movie because they only have animations <laughs> that they've created for the disc. Oh wow. Um, but yeah, that's a great choice, Brett. That's um Yeah. Like I said, I'm surprised they haven't <laughs> released it yet. Yeah, that actually upset me. <laughs> and I think it's fair to say that ours are totally on par for uh <laughs> <laughs> I feel like such a fraud. <laughs> what, what do you have, Johnny? <laughs> um, I uh, so so. What's interesting is the Criterion Collection has released a whole lot of westerns, um, uh, but oddly enough, no spaghetti westerns, which is really? an entire yeah, it's an entire subgenre of uh, of the western and. Um, as anybody uh, who's like really close to me right now would know, I have been um, binging all of the spaghetti westerns uh, ever made since January, mm-hmm. <laughs> and so um, I've been learning a lot about these. And I think the one to, to do it with, the one to kind of uh, break that barrier. I, I think we've already had enough. We've had ample releases for like the big ones, like the Sergio Leone films. Um, those all have nice like. Blu-ray releases from Kino Lorber and stuff like that. Uh, so I think the one to do it with in Criterion would be uh, The Great Silence from 1968, which um, I did a mini-sode on on this podcast, actually, right after I first saw it. It's by Sergio Corbucci, who's famous for doing the original Django. Um, oh. And uh, The Great Silence is considered, by a lot of uh, big fans of the genre, by scholars, it's considered one of the best um it's more somber than some of the others it's not quite as uh upbeat um not as like action-packed in a fantastical way as like when clint eastwood kind of guns down six people in a two seconds uh, with the Mm -hmm. revolver um it's a little more realistic it's more gritty it's a snowy western too it takes place uh in a really snowy landscape and i think was one of the biggest inspirations on uh tarantino uh for the hateful eight so I know the Criterion Collection sometimes likes their deep cuts, um, and I think this one kind of rides that line where it's a bit of a deep cut. It's not, you know, a, it's not Once Upon a Time in the West. It's not The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly, but um, for fans of the genre, it's kind of heralded as one of the best, and I think that might be uh, the the Spaghetti Western to, to start their hopefully long-running list of Spaghetti Western releases. <laughs> Very cool. How long is... Uh... How long is it? Like, because I feel like traditionally they're longer movies, like two and a half hours, a lot of spaghetti westerns. Um, well, you're thinking really that's because of Sergio Leone. Like that's, his movies, that was my introduction. Yeah. Right. His movies, as he went on, they got longer and longer. I think Fistful of Dollars is 90 minutes. But then when you get to The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly, that's like 240. And then uh, you know, Once Upon a Time in the West is about three hours. But a lot of these ones, um, by the non-Leone directors. A lot, most of them range between 90 minutes and two hours. Um, I think I'll uh, look it up, but uh, The Great Silence, I believe, is like 140, something like that. Okay. Um, uh, yeah, 145. So um, that's my... Um, uh, that's my highly academic choice for <laughs> my number five spot. Boy, I really hope that you guys start to get... <laughs> 
shittier taste. That's all right. My, <laughs> my next one's Freddy Got Fingered, so we'll... Uh... Oh, good. <laughs> yeah, my next one's Baby Geniuses 2. So. <laughs> two, two. It's it's the Terminator 2 of the Baby two. Geniuses movies. Yes. Okay, well, you guys are joking, so I got to cross off Freddy Got Fingered and Baby <laughs> Geniuses 2 for my list. Um, cause they totally weren't on there. Um, my number four is the only one that in researching, uh, you know, different lists online of movies that should be on the criterion collection, but surprisingly aren't, um, everything else of mine was not on those lists. Uh, it's cabaret, the Bob Fosse movie starring Liza Minnelli, which, um, I think in this time of Nazi resurgence and uh, the way the world is and trying to, you know, definitely within our circle, um, having art as a way to escape the horrors of every day. Not that things are as bad right now as Nazi Germany, but um, I think Cabaret is timely and... Uh, doesn't really have a good DVD release at all. I, I'm not sure if it's even on Blu-ray, um, but it's such a great musical. Yeah. Um, I, I'm a big fan of musicals, and Cabaret is shot beautifully, and there's moments that give me chills. And, yeah, I, I would definitely love one of those deep-dive afternoons where you could dig into a Criterion Collection version of it. Yeah, I remember when I saw Cabaret on stage for the first time, and I hadn't seen the movie oh. yet. And we saw it in a, like a matinee. And okay. it was just, when you walk back out into the daylight after that movie and have to live the rest of your day, or after that, <laughs> the musical, uh, just to live the rest of your day is... is, is uh, tough. And uh, that movie is, I think, definitely, it's one of the best movie musicals of all time. Yeah. Also, it's nice that a musical made the cut between these 15 picks. <laughs> no, it's kind of, yeah. I mean, I, I, I'll actually, no, I'll save what I was going to say if we get to honorable mentions. But uh, I will, uh, it's not the only musical on my list. Oh, perfect. Oh. <laughs> okay. Do you not know me that well, Brett? <laughs> uh, I've gotten to know you well, which is nice, but I don't think I know you quite as well based off <laughs> Okay. Episodes. Yeah. Uh, Mike, is Fire Fire and Ice, is that a musical also? It is not. Oh, it okay. definitely it's a condom. It's not a musical. <laughs> so by saying by saying it's uh it's dude frozen, uh really you just mean it's frozen without all the songs. It, the, yeah, it's basically the same sort of story for the oh, most okay. part. Yeah. Gotcha. That's yeah. what makes it manly. There's no music. <laughs> <laughs> I could have had all musicals. In fact, I I also did a top 10 and then I pared it down to five and I had other musicals that are not on my list. I love okay. musicals, Brett. I enjoy them. <laughs> um, so Brett, what is your number four? All right. I kind of went, uh, this one I think is interesting because, uh, similar to the movie repo man, this is another movie that is kind of hard to get a hold of because uh, I don't know. It got a proper DVD release, so it actually got a really cool one. Uh, Blu-ray, still working on that. I hope they can do a criterion for it. It's actually one of my favorite uh, like directorial debuts uh, by Catherine Bigelow, Near Dark. Ooh! Oh. 
I love Near Dark. I love it. What a fun, it's a vampire Western. Yeah. First of all, that's already just such an absurd, like just concept for a movie. And then a modern ex- day vampire yeah. western. Yeah. Oh, then, that's a great pick. Oh, it's just such a fun movie, too. And it's only like, again, that movie is what, 90 minutes, maybe? 95? Oh, yeah. It's a yeah. tight 90. It's like a tight movie. It's a kick ass, like, debut for Catherine Bigelow, who went on to do, you know, The Hurt Locker. And yeah. I think the just, first woman ever to win Best Director at the Oscars. I think so, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. But, I mean, I couldn't, like, um, Cool cast, a vampire gang. Yeah. There's kind of a, I don't even know how to describe. It. I couldn't tell you everybody in the cast right off the top of my head, but it's Lance got a lot Hendrickson's of, in Lance it. Lance Hendrickson, Bill, Bill Paxton's. Paxton. Yeah, yeah, Bill Paxton's in it. That's the most notable <laughs> for sure. Yep. And then the guy who was on Heroes that I can't pull his name. The he was on the television series Heroes. Is it the kid? Uh, no. Um, I yeah I don't know and yeah, I'm not I'm tech savvy enough to I was gonna say. look it oh, you're up. You're thinking and, of you're thinking of Adrian Pazdar. Yeah 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 uh, yeah. But there's some great lines in that movie too. Just the little kid, like you're so ugly, you make my gums ache. You know. <laughs> yeah. I haven't seen the movie in at least five years, but like I still think about it very often, and I think that that alone shows that how like how much that movie just stands out and i also just think too if you're gonna if you're gonna be a filmmaker your first movie you know like tarantino kind of kept it kind of i would say straightforward with reservoir dogs in terms of like you have an idea who he is as a person but you show somebody near dark you're just like who the hell is this (laughs) yeah and you know i think uh that also too it's it's critically acclaimed, but I don't think it gets talked about enough. Like, if you go on Rotten Tomatoes, it has a great score, but I don't think it gets mentioned in the list of, like, iconic, I'd say, cult movies. Yeah. Right. Which some, I'm sure, we'll cover here shortly. But, um, yeah, I think it kind of gets slept on, and I think it's kind of a masterpiece, low-key. Um, yeah, That's I agree with pick. you. I, that is a great pick, and that's also that would be a huge flex on Scream Factory and Arrow if they could get that out first. Yeah, that, that definitely is one I could see both of them putting out too. So, yeah, I mean, fingers crossed. Whoever gets to it first, I'm buying it. But, <laughs> um, yeah, that's a fantastic pick. That's one of I remember uh, a DVD or Blu-ray release of that movie that was I, I, obviously I think it's out of print, like as you said. Yeah. Um, but they like tried to sell it as like a i think it it came out around the time that the twilight movies were coming out and the poster looked a lot like a twilight movie yeah and i remember that's hilarious yeah i i just i hope somebody bought that thinking it was like a twilight-esque movie and then oh wow it does (laughs) got like just the shock of discovering what kind of movie it actually is (laughs) oh yeah yeah, it's like a side shot of the of our main character, but it does look straight on like uh, Edward like, Cullen, <laughs> Robert Pattinson. Yeah, that's insane. So we could definitely expect better cover art from Criterion. Oh, absolutely. Um, so for my number four pick, rolling with the the vampire theme. Um, there is a movie that is one of my favorite movies of all time. 
Um, and it's also not like very available. Uh, there is a DVD release. Um, uh, there is no Blu-ray release. I think there's a Japanese Blu-ray release that recently came out. It goes for about a hundred dollars. I already um, know what you're going to say. You know exactly what I'm going to say. Uh, it's yeah. Martin by George yep. Romero. Oh, that was in my top 10 list. Was it really? I cut it out. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Oh, well, perfect. Um, Dude, wow. I, I sold that movie like the DVD. Cause it was like, it went out of print. I sold that at disc replay for $40. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Even the guy behind the counter was like excited. He's just like, Oh, I love working here. Like that was the <laughs> one time he liked working a minimum wage job in his life. <laughs> I no, I love Martin. I own Martin on DVD as part of a. I had to get it as like a part of a George Romero three pack on DVD with uh, the Crazies and Dawn of the Dead. Um, but this is a movie that I think is one of George Romero's most intelligent movies. I think it's one of his most personal movies in terms of like a character study. A lot of his movies are ensemble based. Um, they're more about kind of like the spectacle of the situation. Um, and uh, he does have good character stuff. Obviously, the Criterion Collection has released Night of the Living Dead, so they're not shy about releasing a George Romero movie. Um, but I, uh, Martin, I think, is an incredible movie that uh, has a very original take on vampire lore, and also um, it's a very... Uh, it, it's it's a it's a movie that I think it's got a message and some subtext that can kind of be reapplied over time because it's all about the uh, clashing of generations. And, yeah, it's a good uh, analogy for addiction too. And yes, yeah. oh, definitely, it's a good analogy oh. for addiction. Um, and then I love the way that uh, the the grandpa character um, uh, he is this like classic Van Helsing kind of guy, and he has this classical idea of vampires. Um, and then Martin's nothing like that. Martin's like, no, no, none of that lore about vampires applies to me. And it's kind of about this, the old versus new and, um, and how, uh, the older generation's lack of understanding for the young generation leads to our, you know, to the, that generation's destruction, uh, sort of, um, and I think it's incredibly underrated, but obviously has a huge call following. All obviously both of you guys have seen it and like it, which is great. <laughs> yep. I when I was in LA and I was doing a lot of script writing, I my brain just got trained to come up with ideas and start outlining and developing and at least, you know, write down every thought I could. And <laughs> I remember having this idea for this great vampire movie that would have, uh hey, long story short, I eventually realized, oh, <laughs> you just came up with Martin. <laughs> you saw this on VHS when you were in high school, you dummy. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, it's also, um, it's a sort of a time capsule of a city. It's like a Pittsburgh movie. That movie yeah. is as Pittsburgh as it gets. And uh, I, it's similar to, uh, I think, what David Lynch did with Eraserhead. It's kind of applying that industrial Midwest look of Pittsburgh to the loneliness of an individual um, uh, with just like by seeing them cr uh, like moving across this sort of barren wasteland. <laughs> um, Where does Martin come out in his filmography? Is, is it second or what did was, he do after? It was 77. So it was a year before uh, Dawn of the Dead. Okay. 
so what did he do after Night of the Living Dead? Um, right after Night of the Living Dead, he did um, – he had a couple movies in that time. Um, I think it was what's now known as Season of the Witch. I think it had a okay. different title. I think it was uh, Hungry Wives at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and he did that. Uh, he also did a, a romantic comedy. I forget what it was called. It wasn't like a typical George Romero movie. And he also oh. did The Crazies during okay. that time. But then, yeah, uh, the Mar- Martin was at the tail end right before he did Dawn of the Dead. So it's still like one of his first five movies or so. Yes. Yep. Uh, oh, wow. Definitely okay. before before he did Creep Show, before he yeah. got those much bigger Hollywood jobs. Mm. Oh, damn. Yeah, Johnny, you named every single movie he did up until Martin, except for, I don't think you said The Amusement Park and There's Always Vanilla. But there's I, Always Vanilla was the romantic comedy. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yep. Um, yep. He, uh, and then he did some TV, but yeah, there's okay. always vanilla was his one. That was his follow up to night of the living dead. Then it was season of the witch, then the crazies, then Martin, then dawn of the dead. And then he, okay. he had his hit night riders right after that, which, mm-hmm. uh, I would suggest probably if we did an arrow video episode. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, <laughs> I was able to ride my bike to the video store when I was a kid. And uh, the rule was I could rent anything as long as it was uh, anything rated R as long as it wasn't for like sex. So, you know, I I saw stuff like Knight Riders and, you know. (laughs) Have either of you seen um, uh, A Girl Walks Home Alone at Night? I haven't yet. Uh, It's because it's subtitled, right? Yes. That's it, the black it, and white one, right? Yeah, the mock- yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I have seen that. The downside of having a kid is it's hard to watch television and without like having one eye on the kid. Sure. So it's really hard to watch something subtitled these days. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, but it, that's a movie that I've always thought could be like a double feature with Martin because they're both about. They they both have this different approach to vampires where it's it's really about like loneliness and um that up against this sort of like wandering modern wasteland. Uh I I'm I'm getting off track, but yes, Martin, that's my yeah. <laughs> that's my that's a, choice. That's a great choice too. That's Thank awesome. You. My number three is not a debut, uh, but I believe it's his second movie. Um and I don't I hope this hasn't gotten a, a good release someplace else. Uh, if it has, I need to go out and buy it. It is Peter Jackson's Meet the Feebles. Oh, okay. Has it gotten a big release by anyone or not really? <sighs> not that I know of. I, a lot of Peter Jackson's earlier movies are not widely available, I think. Okay. Is this so first he did his first bad. one is Bad Taste. That's, yeah. Right. Yeah, uh, which is an alien invasion movie. And Meet the Feebles is basically um, a dirty version of The Muppet Show. <laughs> and uh, it is another musical. <laughs> and it is, uh, it, it's phenomenal. It is gross. <laughs> it is, um, it's just great. It, to think of what he accomplished on such a small budget um, it, it's really no surprise that he's had the career that he's had because he's been such an innovative filmmaker, even up to like 
Bad Taste, which I could have included as well. I just have a bigger soft spot for Meet the Feebles because it is a musical and it is kind of a parody of The Muppet Show. Right. Yeah, Meet the Feeble. That's a good, uh, more of a, that's slightly more of a deep cut for choosing a, a, a movie by um, Peter Jackson. But I, I love Meet the Feebles. I think it's. Yeah, great. I would almost say this could be a better Shout Factory thing, but because of the career Peter Jackson's had afterwards. Right. I would really love to see a prestigious. I mean, if we had Repo Man, we can have Meet the Feebles. No, I agree. Yeah, <laughs> and it's a spectacle. Like in terms of uh, how well made it is, like with the yeah, the, 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 I, I'd love to see just the behind the scenes footage of that. Yeah, me too. So you have seen it? Have you seen it, Brett? I have not seen Meet the Feebles. I have seen oh, no. Bad Taste and Brain Dead. Oh, yeah. okay. Yeah, you really have to see Meet the Feebles. Okay. And I did look it up. It looks like there's only like a DVD and a VHS in circulation. Okay. So this would be the time. <laughs> yeah. Uh, like a Blu-ray. I had a bootleg of it that I got at like a Comic-Con on DVD. And I was so happy that it finally got an actual DVD release. Uh, I love it. It's such a great, gross movie. I was going to say, a lot of Peter Jackson's early movies, there's some gross stuff going on. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Even just bad taste and brain dead alone. I'm just like, this is a filthy man. And then he goes on to make one of the most iconic trilogies in like film history. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, and I would love to see him like, I don't know what he wants to make, um, but I would love to see him like dip his toe back in again, too, because post Lord of the Rings, he's done, you know, the lovely bones and King Kong and a lot of like uh, a little more prestigious Hollywood pictures. King Kong is like, you know, a three and a half hour long, <laughs> like uh, classic Hollywood style uh, film. So if he if he. It decided to. I would more than welcome uh, a, a, a bad taste era Peter Jackson resurgence. What's the final line from King Kong that Jack Black basically <laughs> breaks the fourth wall and says, "Is it's it the beauty uh, killed the beast?" Yeah, line, right? in the end, it was the beauty that killed the beast. <laughs> when I lived in LA, we saw Jack Black walking down the street with his kid and uh i just kind of did a nod to let him know hey i know who you are and i like what you do i didn't want to interrupt his time with his son but now i'm regretting not saying in the end it was beauty that killed the beast (laughs) (laughs) that would be um i i I think the phenomenon of quoting an actor's lines back at them when you see them is is one of the best uh, things (laughs) ever i one time this is one a small uh side thing i saw xander berkeley um uh it was at a convention so there were people like everywhere but i I was walking by and i saw him and for some reason i remember xander berkeley from the movie taken and there's a line where liam neeson says this is no time for dick measuring stewart at his face (laughs) and so i thought this is the time and so i just said that line at him and he kind of like rubbed his head and went yeah i know (laughs) a very bizarre situation um if roy scheider was still alive we could have all gotten our picture taken with him and just uh if he wasn't into it we could have all said smile you son of a (laughs) that's that would be the gold standard yeah right (laughs) uh all right what do you have for three brett sorry johnny no problem. Oh, was good. Uh, three, back to uh, directorial debuts of, uh, you know, one of the big guns 
of filmmaking today. Uh, his first movie, uh, it was actually a made-for-TV movie, I believe. I'm pretty certain it was a TV movie. Uh, Duel. Yep. Duel. Yep. <laughs> oh, yeah. 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 Yeah, Duel. I was like, I didn't even know what the, when I saw that for the first time, it was a made-for-TV movie. And I was just like, yep. yeah. no, this is just a great minimalist thriller. <laughs> what a nice segue from Jaws, too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That was perfect. Yeah, I, I love Duel. Yeah, yeah. I uh, yeah Steven Spielberg, which yeah, and then on top of that, it's how do you make uh, a semi truck terrifying? All right. Yeah, and it's just a very simple story. A guy is getting chased by a guy in a or a guy in a car is getting chased by a guy in a semi truck, and yet spoilers. You never see the guy in the truck, yeah, and that's terrifying. Right. But it's so tense, just because, you know. I think what made this movie cool was he's in the middle of nowhere, like in the desert. It's right. not like he's in the city and it's this high thing where he's weaving through traffic. It's just no. It's just him and this guy who just keeps catching up to him, and it just it's tense. And again, it's another like tight ninety-ish minute movie. Yeah. And Have you guys seen the Bob's Burgers episode that uh, is an homage to Duel? No, I haven't. Uh, it's pretty good. It's one of their Christmas episodes. Um, and I love the episodes of Bob's Burgers where you can start to realize, like, oh, well, this episode is this thing. Right, yeah, so, they do that yeah. sometimes. Like, a whole episode yep. is an homage to a movie. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, no, Duel is... Uh, I think just a perfect exercise in like really simple suspense and, um, and, and the, also the fact that it doesn't take place at night, but it's still so terrifying. I think that that's a testament to how well done it is. How old were you guys when you saw duel for the first time? I was, um, I was like 15 when I saw yeah. it. Okay. I, I like just entered high school. So yeah, around the same time I, I, I saw it when I was younger and I think because of that, I still have kind of a weird fear of trucks when I can't (laughs) see the driver. Yeah. Yeah. I I don't like having trucks directly behind me. And I think part of that is like a lingering fear from dual. Uh, There's also a sequence in that movie that I feel like I've seen so many times where when he's in like, I think he's in a diner and he's like has a suspicion that the driver is in there and he's mm-hmm. looking at all these people and you're like it could be any one of these people and that's such a creepy idea too or if you're seeing all these faces but you don't know which one of them could be this horrible psycho <laughs> yeah you know? yeah yeah that's a I'm perfect surprised, I'm surprised Duel hasn't gotten a big release yeah yeah when i was Especially making this list, yeah <laughs> yeah yeah, I was trying to think of movies. Like, it has a Blu-ray to release, but it should get, like, a proper one. Because you really think about it. Just, like, that was the start of Steven Spielberg's career. Like, his filmmaking career. And to right. see everything he's done, like, now, it's crazy to think that's what started it all. And if you really look at it, I mean, it ranks right up there with some of his all-time great movies. And it's also such a simple story. And it just goes to show, you know... A lot of his movies, you know, they're big and like the production values are insane. They look great, they sound great. But Duel was just proof. It's just like if you have a, it's not so much about the budget. It's if you have a great story and you could utilize what you do have, 
that guy made a classic. I mean, we're talking about it, and that movie came out in what, 1971? Yeah. So, yeah, that's my, uh, that'll be my third pick. That's a great pick. That is a great pick. Um, so for my third pick, um, I am choosing a movie that I've also done a mini soda of on this, uh, podcast. Um, and it's the directorial debut of a filmmaker named Casey Lemons called Eve's Bayou. Mm. Um, have you seen it? I'm not yes. familiar. Okay. Uh, it's great. It's a, it's a Southern Gothic drama with horror overtones <laughs> a little bit. Um, okay. uh, it stars Samuel L. Jackson. Um, and uh, Casey Lemons was an actress for a, a long time. I mean, she still is an actress. Um, she, you would know her. She's Clarice Starling's uh, like yeah. uh, student uh, roommate. Friend. Yeah. yeah, her roommate in um, um, Silence of the Lambs. She's also uh, Virginia Madsen's friend in Candyman. Um, and she wrote and directed this movie. And she uh, she grew up um, in Louisiana. And so it's sort of a... It, it's, it's like a half... It's semi-autobiographical, certain aspects of the movie. But it's also uh, very fantastical. And it deals with, like, hoodoo and... Um, uh, a lot of lore. It's it's such an authentic movie in terms of like I love movies that are about a town and a place and a certain point of, in time, and that's that movie just like uh, bleeds Louisiana. Like it's just uh, it, it's everything about that uh, place, like uh, culturally the way people talk, uh, and it's written and directed obviously by a person from there, and so I think it it feels very authentic. Um, it's and it's uh it's a movie that genuinely unsettles me um in the way that it approaches truth and perception and um uh it, it kind of reminds me a little bit of like twin peaks in the way it kind of has like an um a very vague mythology to it but i think it's a really special movie um and there are also are not a lot of movies on the criterion collection that are by uh a black female filmmakers so i think that would be uh, good too. I think in the last few months, the AV Club did an interview with her, and I was blown away <laughs> to realize that she had the small part in Silence of the Lambs, and they, like I had no idea her the depth of her career, and you right. know, that, that, yeah, it's pretty phenomenal. Well, and I mean, a lot of filmmakers they act. They take those parts because they're, you know, that's the best kind of film school is to just be on a set and watch people, watch right. them direct you. And I mean, to this day, she still has a good career. She just did that movie Harriet about Harriet Tubman. So, mm. um, but yeah, I think uh, for somebody who's had a, a lasting career, that's her directorial debut. It's, I think, one of the few movies that she also wrote solely on her own. And also, it doesn't have a Blu ray release. It's a pretty, it's not a widely available movie. I think there's just like one, there's a DVD release that goes for like, 20 something dollars on ebay or something so that could be a cool thing to release very nice also johnny you've been doing a thing lately which i really think is cool is uh you know unfortunately like you know there's a lot of terrible things going on in the world especially with uh you know racism and police brutality but you've been doing this thing where you uh like every day you uh do or you spotlight uh, a black filmmaker and what i think is cool about what you're doing specifically is you know, I think people are trying to, like, spread awareness for, like, uh, um, black filmmakers or just black people in the arts. 
But I like that you took something that you're already very passionate about and then took something that you already cared about. And then when something terrible happened in the world, you already had this wealth of knowledge about movies, but then you made it specifically about something that's going on in the world that's relevant. And I think it's cool because I think a lot of people, and I'm not saying this to like, you know, be mean to anybody who's, you know, trying to do the right thing. But I think it's, there's sometimes there's a lot of slacktivism online. And I mean that politely, but it's cool that you took something that's already important to you and are trying to spread knowledge about it in a way that I think is authentic and it doesn't feel, you know, fake and forced with, you know, people just posting relentlessly, like, do this, do this, you're a bad person if you don't do this. And you, it's just like, I'm like, oh, you would just do this anyway. Right. So, yeah. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, you're not jumping on a hot bandwagon because it's a hot bandwagon. Yeah. Uh, You're applying your wealth of knowledge to a current situation. I second what Brett said. Yeah. All in favor? I. (laughs) (laughs) Um. All right. So what do you have for your number? Are we on two now? We're on number two. Right. I um, I had a tough time be- deciding between these two, and I have them both written down. Uh, but I think I'm going to go with my gut. It's a movie that I know all three of us like a lot. I initially was going to say Heavy Metal, which came up <laughs> earlier. Um, but uh, And I would really like a, a good you know, deluxe meaty version of heavy metal, just because that voice cast alone, how all those people came together. But, um, unless I'm terribly mistaken. And if so, I really need to correct this. Um, in Bruges is not on Blu-ray at all. It is on Blu-ray, but not on Criterion. Yeah. Okay. I own the Blu-ray, but I think it is out of print. Oh, Okay. It's hard to find, for sure. Yes. I only have it on DVD, and, and there are some special features, but I would really like, you know, a commentary track. I, I, I want more, and <laughs> I, I know I'm biased because I love that movie so much, and I know that yep. all three of us really enjoy that movie. And, yep. in fact, me having an Embruge t-shirt is how, you know, we all, you know, three of us became friends, uh, but yeah, I, I'd really like a good Criterion Collection version of uh, In Bruges. Yeah, I think. Um, well, one thing is that Brett and I, when we did the episode on that, we talked a lot about uh, we, what we think are the implications in that movie about um, uh, um, the the afterlife, and uh, how, you know, the I, we, we talked once in the Christmas episode about how In Bruges is about the depression of the Christmas season. Remember that? Yeah. That was just me weaseling. I mean, I wasn't lying, but I definitely was like, oh, we can count this as a Christmas movie. Let's keep (laughs) talking about this amazing movie. Yeah. And so, and one thing that the Criterion Collection does really well is they have film scholars contribute to everything. There's always a little booklet on the inside. um, And then lots of times there's commentary by uh, film critics and film scholars. And so I'd love to hear more people talk about what they think like are the meanings in that. Script. Yeah. The symbolism in it. And it is a movie that I feel is a perfect movie. Yeah. And yeah, I, yeah, there is so much symbolism and, you know, even from like a, a writing standpoint, just someone kind of like spotlighting, 
everything that is set up. Like, there's no wasted, not only not a wasted scene in the movie, but not a wasted beat in the movie. And, right. uh, yeah, I feel like maybe it's one of those things that needs to be dumbed down for people just so other people can appreciate how much of a masterpiece in Bruges really is. I, I agree. Um, and, and it's also the directorial debut of Martin McDonough too. And, uh, before he had the three billboards, which was an Oscars darling. I think that was the first time he got into like major awards too. Because I keep name dropping. Did we ever, uh, we did talk you? about when you met Martin McDonough. I think. Okay. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> or when you saw him. <laughs> now, Allison and I watched the very first screening of three billboards, uh, sitting next to Martin McDonough and, uh, yeah. All right. That's amazing. I drop that name again. Yeah. <laughs> there we go. Yeah, that should be your bio right there. <laughs> yeah. Uh, all I want to say is uh, Martin McDonough, if he ever does like a in the closet, like criterion where he's picking movies. Yeah. 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 I want to watch that. I just want to hear him talk about movies for 10 minutes. Yeah. Me too. Yeah. I would love like they did for Hamilton. If like more theater started getting those kinds of releases, just because Martin McDonough's plays are so great too. Right. Right. And yeah. Oh, and I mean, he is, I know he's probably very knowledgeable of films. There's so many references in his films. Um, mm-hmm. uh, in Bruges, obviously, has a lot of references to it, Don't Look Now, uh, which has also be, has been released by the Criterion Collection. Uh, oh, okay. When they're they're making the, the the remake of All Look Now, Don't Look Now, that the, the little person is in. <laughs> um, <laughs> and so, yeah, no, I'd love to see that release. And yeah, I'd like to hear him talk about movies, too, because I'm sure he's, yeah. he knows a lot. Um Brett, what is your number two choice? All right. Number two choice. Okay. This is where I started getting, uh, I'm going to say conflicted because I, like I said, I had like a top 10 list going for a minute and I wanted to narrow it down to five. Uh, and I also, uh, in Bruges was something I considered talking about because we've covered it so much. I decided not to put it on the list, um, or on my list rather. So I'm going to go a little back into like the cult sort of territory. I'm going with the movie Heathers. Okay. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I love Heathers. I, maybe I just love Winona Ryder, but <laughs> man, well, who I do, I do love me some young Winona Ryder, but I mean, you guys are familiar with the movie, but for people who aren't, it's basically a girl named Heather. There's a group of Heathers at this school and it's kind of tarnishing her reputation being with these just snooty bitches. So she just basically plots with um, Christian uh, Slater's character to kill the cool kids. (laughs) And uh, it's great. I mean, definitely a movie that couldn't be made now because it's basically about school shootings. Did either of you guys watch that uh, series remake of it? I'm aware of it. I have not seen it though. Okay. I also haven't seen the musical, which I've heard is really good. Um, but, there was someone um, in the series that uh, I felt bad because I, I can't remember. I'll never be able to pull it in a million years. But someone that I was bummed that the series didn't go. Um, I think it only got released because it got made. And then, you know, whoever released it was just like, shit, let's try to make some money off of advertising. But... Uh, there's someone really good in it, but I can't remember who. 
It is. Um, I mean, that is in a way re-releasing it now would be good too, because of how timely it is. And, um, and it, how it has a certain sense of humor about something that we probably wouldn't be able to recreate now. And I, I always loved to the, um, it's sort of like it came out during the, the John Hughes times, right? So it's kind of the anti Hughes movie. Yeah. It came out in 1989. Right. Yeah. So, so yeah. Um, peak John Hughes, I think right after he had his whole string of teen movies. Um, yeah. And yeah, it was like the perfect time for the movie then. And um, I also always appreciated that Christian Slater, he rides that line where he's like a handsome young guy, but he also looks like there's something really wrong with him and acts like it. <laughs> yeah. Too. Yeah. He definitely it, gives it, off that like school shooter Columbine sort of vibe to him. Right. Yeah. I like how these movies that uh, it came out when I was either a junior or senior in high school, depending on which month it came out. But well, no, I guess totally when I was a senior in high school. Um, But these movies that take place in high school that came out when I was in high school are still relevant now to people that (laughs) kind of makes me realize that I grew up in a really cool era of film. Yeah. Fun fact about Heather's that I didn't know. I actually found out while doing a little bit of research, like leading up to this, uh, originally, uh, what, what is the guy's name who made this fucking movie? All right. I just had a note. Where is it? Um, Daniel Waters, he originally wanted Stanley Kubrick to direct this. Oh. And that was because he admired uh, Dr. Strangelove. Right. Which is sort of, which that's the gold standard of dark comedy. Yeah. So it was interesting to think about that. And I'm now kind of thinking about it. It's just like, imagine if Stanley Kubrick got his hands on this. Yeah. Like how crazy this movie would be. With like just how crazy his filmography across the board is between Doctor Strangelove, right? You know, two thousand one. Well, and he uh, definitely, I think, could have played up the uncanny aspects uh, to the movie and how certain people act. Like I think of how he did, you know, A Clockwork Orange, and how so many of the supporting characters in that movie don't seem like people, like <laughs> intentionally, you know. Yeah. And he could have applied that to Heather's too. Yeah. And I also think, I think the reason mainly I wanted it or I wanted to mention it beyond, uh, it actually has a decent like steelbook release. I don't own it, but I'm aware that there's like a legit steelbook. But I definitely think there's something to be said about that movie where certain movies, when people say, oh, you couldn't make that now, like they name things like uh, Blazing, Blazing Saddles, <laughs> uh, Animal House, like stuff like that. It's usually like uh, comedies, but not really like, you know, black comedies, so to mm-hmm, speak. Yeah. But this is definitely a movie that just toes that line of just how relevant, which is unfortunate, like how relevant some of the things or the themes of this movie are today in terms of like bullying and like how there's cliques and just like just this weird like culture of just uh, almost just like segregation amongst like the kids at school of how they treat each other. It's it's weird. But 31 years later, too, and I'm still saying, quoting, I love my dead gay son. (laughs) (laughs) But also, too, I mean, it is uh, if you have a sense of humor, if you just like a like a mean spirited, just fun, weird ass comedy, it's really fun. And I think it's still on Netflix. If it's not on Netflix, it is on Shudder. Yes. Yeah. No, that's a great choice. That's an awesome choice. 
Um, so for my number two choice, um, I don't know if this is very typical of the type of uh, film nerd that I am, uh, but it is The Holy Mountain by Alejandro Jodorowsky. Um, okay. <laughs> which uh, is a film that I have a Blu-ray of it that's way out of print now. Um, and it's it's a movie that I think is Jodorowsky's masterpiece. And Jodorowsky is a wild filmmaker uh, in his own right. I'm sure he, he might be more well-known to some people as the subject of the documentary Jodorowsky's Dune because he yeah. almost directed what became David Lynch's Dune. Um and you just watch him in that documentary and it's like he is uh and i'm not saying this is an insult i think he is a clinically insane man <laughs> like my my unprofessional um diagnosis is that but uh so incredibly talented visually and definitely has a whole lot to say and i think uh holy mountain is sort of his magnum opus in that way and Mag- the holy mountain has it's all about the uh, it's about capitalism it's about the um the uh, military-industrial complex, uh, all those things that never stop being relevant, <laughs> unfortunately, and um, and it's just it's a it's a very bizarre movie that I think um, I, and it has a huge following too. It's definitely a, a cult classic, and so I think that would be a, a cool choice for Criterion. And as Speaking of what Brett said earlier, I would love to see the art that they come up with based on that movie, too, and the imagery that's in it. I've never seen it. In fact, everything I know about him is from the documentary, but seeing the wealth of, like, like that lookbook that he made for Dune, yeah, I, I really, he's a filmmaker, I really need to see some of his stuff, just knowing the meticulousness that he puts into his work and his vision. Uh, it's sorely a blind spot for me, unfortunately. Yeah. I'm aware of the movie. Have not seen it. Okay. Well, I definitely recommend it to both of you. I think you'd both get a kick out of it. Um, no. It's, it's one of those, it's a ride. It's like, it's one of those things that I think is so incredibly entertaining. Um, not in a, you know, not in a con air kind of way, <laughs> but in like this, but it, it's definitely, he's, he's going for something very cerebral and I, and I think it works. Um, but it's also just it, every single shot in that movie is jaw dropping and there are set pieces and, um, uh, props that he uses um there's like a giant machine it's like a sex machine and that's all i'll say about the scene because i don't know how to describe it to you but it's like this practically built machine and when you see it working it's it's crazy it's a thing that they just made for the purposes of the movie um and it's it's just it's an incredible film and i think has one of the most like jaw-dropping endings too i've ever seen anything like like it's one of those movies that get, you get so wrapped up into it and then it kind of flips that on its head and makes you feel something else at the end and so um that's my number two choice very nice my number one uh should be no surprise that i'm finding a way to wedge this in anyone who <laughs> knows me um i think there have been numerous releases kind of of this movie oh i think i know what it's gonna be but go ahead i really want someone else not involved with it like criterion like you said before to have commentaries with scholars and stuff like that i want the un 
special edition version of the original Star Wars. Just don't let anyone from Lucasfilm touch it <laughs> other than, you know, to give you the, the prints and have the Criterion Collection do it all to kind of break through all the, uh, you know, print the legend because it's better than the truth kind of, you know, bullshit that's become of Star Wars and, you know, really get into the nitty gritty and just kind of like do it like none of the other movies ever got made and Lucas didn't get lucky with a Kenner toy license and become the richest (laughs) man in show business. I would just really love an unedited original version of star Wars. If it were like a standalone film. Yeah. One that's not called a new hope. (laughs) Right. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. Well, I started thinking when you said anybody who knows me would say this. And so I was thinking, I was like, is it Calvary? <laughs> but then- I was thinking, I thought Calvary, I thought, uh, not Repo Man, but I thought They Live, maybe. Oh, yeah. Yeah, They Live uh, could have been on my list, too. I, yeah. Uh, Scream Factory got to list. They Live first, right. yeah. unfortunately. Yeah. <laughs> Nobody's got to Calvary. It does, I think it's worthy of some release. Yeah. Flew under the radar. That's Martin McDonough's brother who made that. Yeah, Michael yes. McDonough. Yeah. John Michael McDonough. Yeah. But then I thought, I was like, oh, well, Mike's a big Star Wars guy, so it's probably going to be Star Wars. And then when you said um, it hasn't, it's got many releases, kind of, I was like, oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, I, I know actually, it's such a cop-out pick, but, no, it's you not. know, it's such a fantasy pick that, you right. know. I imagine when people put together lists of things they want on Criterion, they almost feel like saying Star Wars might be out of the realm of possibilities. So I respect the pick. Yeah. Right. Well, yeah, it would never happen. In it's wishful years. thinking of the highest caliber, but I, let's, I, oh yeah. I let's not, let's also not forget the fact that the Criterion collection at two points in time, uh, released the rock and Armageddon. So, yeah. I don't think they can pretend that they're above Star Wars. <laughs> and, yeah. um, and, and I mean, and to deny, obviously, Star Wars' uh, w- its impact as a film. Um, and then also the fact that they could be the first ones to have a legal wide Blu-ray release of the original theatrical version. Yeah. Um, I own the... Um, the despecialized editions of the original trilogy on like a, it's like a bootleg Blu-ray. I got at a convention one time and it is like people reconstructed it. I watched a whole documentary about it, about how people went just regular people went to these extremes to compile and restore these are the original versions to like a Blu-ray quality. And it looks really good. Um, And so it's been shown that it can be done. Uh, Yeah. If if I don't know what kind of legal stuff they'd have to go through with Lucasfilm, but that would be incredible if they could do that. I consider yeah. that the final boss of Criterion. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they just yeah. stopped making them after that. Damn, I got a top Mike's pick. I don't think I'm going to, but... All right, my number one... The reason this is my number one is this is just one of my favorite movies that's come out in the last five years, ten years even. I just love this movie so much, and it is a directorial debut by uh, Corey Finley, and the movie is called Thoroughbreds. Uh, Mike, have you seen Thoroughbreds? No, but I've heard them talk about it on... Oh, wait, uh, Thoroughbreds. Um, 
It's Star- two female actresses, right? Yes. Uh, it stars Olivia Cook and Anya Taylor Joy. Mm. Yeah, I've seen yeah. the poster for it, and yep. if it's streaming, I think it's in my queue someplace because I, I keep seeing the image a lot. So maybe it isn't streaming. Maybe I just keep seeing the poster. But okay, yeah. So it's good, huh? It's amazing. It's another again. I've, if you guys are noticing a theme with me, I love just perfectly tight 90 minute movies this movie is right on the dot 90 minutes stars olivia cook anya taylor joy and uh unfortunately he has since passed but uh um anton yelchin Yelchin. Mm -hmm. from uh green room yeah yeah Yeah, he uh sitting his death if people are interested you can look that up what a crazy way to die um I like that it says a lot about us that instead of going Star Trek, we go, yeah, from the green room. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, and, and, yeah. I, and I remember Thoroughbreds came out after Anton Yelchin passed. Uh, yeah. Th- green Room came out, I think, right when he passed or right yeah. after. Uh-huh. And then Thoroughbreds was almost a year later that it came out. And I remember watching that and it made me, and I was already sad about how he died because it was so tragic. Uh, yeah. But then what, the made, movie made me miss him more because I think it might have been the best performance I've seen from him. His character in that movie is so like pathetic and sad, and but he's, he's so great in that role. Yeah. He doesn't seem like a movie star. You know, he doesn't seem like the guy from Star Trek. Yeah, he puts like the simp in sympathetic, but man, he... <laughs> He's great in the movie. I mean, for people who haven't seen it, it's basically, it's kind of a hard movie to explain, but I'll try to do it as, without spoiling anything as much as possible. Uh, two best friends. Uh, one goes away to like a correctional facility or mental institution for a while, comes back uh, to see her best friend, and one's tut- or one is tutoring the other. And they basically find out... Uh, one is insane and one hates her dad and with stepdad, time, right? I believe, yeah, I believe it's stepdad. Yeah. Uh, and with time decides I want to kill my stepdad and that becomes the plot of the movie. And it's great. I mean, it's what sold me on the movie is, uh, one of the taglines is, uh, promoting it was, uh, Amer- it's American psycho meets Heather's. And I was like, <laughs> what a weird I'm in. And then yeah. I saw it, and it was it sucked because it made money, but not quite what they were hoping for. I mean, it was a tough sell, but uh, I saw it in theaters. I was the only one in the theater. So I got to experience that movie, and I walked away from it just going, it's like, I'm going to see that again tomorrow. And this was in the age of movie pass, RIP. Like, I saw that movie the next day. It was so good. And I think for a directorial debut, it was, it looks great. The dialogue was well-written, you know, mm. had a great cast. And also yeah, two, two very think, underrated leads in that. Yeah. Yes. Anya yeah. Taylor-Joy, her career starting to take off. And I've, I really I love enjoy Anya Taylor-Joy. Yeah. I love Anya Taylor-Joy. Olivia Cook is very underrated, I think. Yeah. She was I just think in Ready just, Player One, I think. Yeah. Yeah. I think yeah so. she was, I, I think I just uh, came across, uh, the info for thoroughbreds again because i was looking at uh the cast from new mutants wondering mm-hmm. you know oh what has she been up to recently and i i saw that and yeah man yeah that's i i have to catch up with it yeah it's a it's a very good movie um and i i love how that movie takes kind of this weirdly like realistic take on on 
like a revenge plot, like without spoiling anything, things go wrong many times. Um, and uh, there's also, I think Anton Yelchin's character, he's like a realistic version of what Matthew McConaughey and Dazed and Confused would be, where he's the guy who hangs around all of the high school kids after he's graduated, but he's not cool. Like, <laughs> he's yeah. like, he's kind of creepy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But uh, I think that's a movie, too, that, like, uh, I mean, the people who love it really do love it, but it did fly under the radar hard. And, uh, yeah, I think uh, it's worthy of a Criterion release, and that might just be what would help it develop a cult following. Yeah. So. You have a a T-shirt of uh, Thoroughbreds, right? Yeah, I do. uh, No, this is a, oh, this is like a Studio Ghibli shirt. This is uh, my neighbor, uh. Totoro? Totoro? Yeah. I do have a, yeah, it's just basically a ripoff of the movie poster of uh, Anya Taylor looking one way and then Olivia Cook looking the other way with magic right. sunglasses. Yeah. It is a great poster. <laughs> yeah, I, I see the poster a lot of, they're both sitting on like a love seat or something like that. Yep. Yeah. 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 What's your number one, Johnny? My number one, uh, so the Criterion Collection, they use the phrase important classic and contemporary films. And so sometimes that means they're spotlighting very new movies uh, like Brett's Choice. Um, my choice is from uh, 2018. It's called Blind Spotting. Um, oh, okay. okay. Which yeah. uh, it's a movie that I only very recently got, like, finally saw. A friend of mine who it's like one of his favorite movies, he showed it to me. And a lot of people were calling it the do the right thing of today, um, which in a way, like do the right thing is still the do the right thing of today. (laughs) But um, it's a a similar vein where it's so it's written by uh, David Diggs and uh, Raphael Cazal, I think is how you pronounce his last name. And um, it's a movie that's very... uh, it has a sense of humor about its subject matter, but treats it seriously at the same time, uh, which in a similar way to Spike Lee did with um, uh, Do the Right Thing. And so it is about uh, police violence. It's about you know racial disparities in Oakland uh, specifically, and it's written by people from Oakland. Uh, it stars those people. Um, and it, it's it's uh, it takes place in just a couple of days. It's like the last couple of days of a guy's um, parole, and it's really uh, it's it, it's very intense. It's like has I think one of the tensest climaxes I've seen recently. Um, also, the way it incorporates like spoken word and like like rap into the dialogue, I think is unlike a lot of things I've seen before. Um, and I think it's I think it's kind of a modern masterpiece. It's also very tight. It's short. It's not a egregiously long movie. Uh, it gets to the point. It's very funny. Uh, the banter is great. Uh, and it, it, I think for the director, I think he had only done music videos up to that point. And it's very it's very stylized in a way that pays off. I don't think it's style over substance. I think it's like it's just a very memorable movie. There's a there's one sequence in particular that's basically one of those Michael Pena and Ant-Man scenes where he's talk like a character is talking about something that happened in the past and but with so many more feelings on top of it it's kind of scary but also very funny the way that they 
use interjections and how it's edited. And um, I, yeah, I think it's kind of a masterpiece and I think it would be great uh, for the Criterion Collection. That sounds good. Everything that you're saying to describe it also could be said of like the black last black man in San Francisco, which oh. I really enjoyed a lot. Um, and yeah, I, I really have to catch up with this. David Diggs is someone that wasn't on my radar until about February this year when I saw him in, um, Hamilton? Uh, no, uh, going back to rotoscope animation, there's a, um, is it Undone? It's like a rotoscope animated television series that was on Amazon, and he's in that. And um, But I feel like after seeing him in that and going like, oh, wow, he's great, I keep seeing him every few weeks or so in other things. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I've become very quickly a big David Diggs fan. And, yes, in Hamilton, he's phenomenal, too. Oh, my God. Yeah. He's huge right now. So yeah, I de- yeah. so you haven't seen Blind Spotting, right? I have not yet. No, okay. it is a blind spot for me, but uh, <laughs> I will correct that. Well, I definitely recommend it, and and also the title. Uh, the title has so many meanings in the movie that I won't give away, and it's like one of the most clever titles I've just ever seen for a movie. Um, cool. Have you yeah, seen I, it, Brett? Uh, I'm going to be honest. I feel like when you were describing it. I was like, is he describing Fruitvale Station right now? <laughs> like, I was sitting there going, I was like, did it get a new title? And uh, no, I have not. I thought I'd see. I'm aware of it, but okay, yeah. I definitely recommend it. That's uh, one for the wish list. Um, Brett, so- if you're worried at all that that made you sound racist, I just want you to know, uh, yes, yes. It totally did. <laughs> oh, okay. Perfect. <laughs> oh, it didn't help that I did this, which apparently is like white power. Yeah, apparently yeah. so. Yeah. <laughs> um, so do, do we want to quickly, if Mike, you had a couple of honorable mentions. Do you want to run through those? Yeah, I, I have two um, trashy honorable mentions and then a question <laughs> for you guys. Um my two trashy honorable mentions are movies that are not important at all, but are movies that I love and do not have, you know, even collector's editions, even though they are both cult uh, classics in addition to being two of my favorite movies. And those are Tank Girl and Barry Gordy's Last Dragon. <laughs> I, I'm a fan of both of those movies, especially The Last Dragon. Um, yeah. I I watch The Last Dragon maybe once a year, uh, mm-hmm. at least. It's a wonderful film. You, you know, a lot of times people will say, you know, when did you know that your partner was the one? And I don't think there is really one of those moments, but to just kind of reiterate how cool Allison is, she friggin' hates Barry Gordy's Last Dragon, <laughs> hates that I made her watch it, bought it for me on DVD so I could watch it anytime I wanted to because she knew that I liked it so much. And, um, yeah, that's, uh, that's one of those moments that made me realize I'm very lucky in who I, uh, have, am getting to spend the rest of my life with. So yeah, that's, yeah, that's wonderful. I ha- I haven't had the heart to show it to my girlfriend yet because I'm afraid that she'll hate it. <laughs> but- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I did it. I think, uh, I think, made her watch it before we were even engaged. So uh, I think it's a good test to see if it's a long-term relationship or not. It is impossible to get DeBarge's rhythm of the night out of your head for the rest of your life. Well, you you know, once you feel the heat of the rhythm of the night. (laughs) (laughs) 
Um, so before you, you said you had a question. I, before you get to that, because I think it might be a good capper to the whole thing, I, I was going to go over just over my honorable mentions. Yeah, absolutely. Too. Um, the ones that almost made the list, uh, Buck and the Preacher, which is the first film directed by Sidney Poitier. Uh, it's mm. a Western starring him uh, and Harry Belafonte. Uh, very underrated. I think Criterion even owns the rights. I believe it's on the Criterion channel, but they haven't done a release of it. Um, uh, also, uh, this was going to be a sort of wild card pick, uh, the Blair Witch Project. Uh, oh, which okay. Just because uh, just I think the cultural impact. Um, and then also... Um, and I think with Blair Witch, just because there have been so many... Uh, it spawned a genre. I, I think right. it would be really neat to have, it feels weird to say a historian, but kind of, you know, someone to bring you back to, you know, how Blair Witch really changed the landscape and did create a, an entire genre in itself. Right, right, yeah. yeah, and and I mean that movie's as old as me, uh, and just the fact that so much has happened in that time that found footage movies are just a type of film. I think, yeah, somebody to put that in perspective would be great. Uh, and then my last choice would just uh, be Pink Flamingos by John Waters because they've Pink released Flamingos. multiple John Waters films. Um, they also have released a laser disc of Pink Flamingos, so I think it's about time they just update it to DVD and Blu-ray. Well, that's surprising they haven't done that yet. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I had one more I wanted to throw out that it was in my top 10 that we didn't talk about, but I just wanted to, you know, let people know that I do know movies that are <laughs> older than 1983. Well, Cabaret is, I think, 79. Um, Harry and Tonto is a Art Carney movie that um, is one of those that I, I, I think is a beautiful movie that is not on a lot of people's radars. It's about an old guy and his cat and it's really sweet. And, uh, that did appear on some of those lists of movies that should be criterion collections, uh, yeah. releases, but is not yet. Brett, did you have any honorable mentions? Yeah, I had a few. Uh, one is actually a musical and a very recent one, uh, La La Land. Oh, that was okay. one. Uh, I, I love La La Land. It's one of the few movies that are recent movies that's made me cry. Uh, also, uh, living with uh, Zach Bacar for a year, he calls white. He calls La La Land White Black Panther, <laughs> <laughs> which is very funny. They finally got representation. Yep, La La that's Land. yeah has the same cultural effects on white people, <laughs> uh, but it's also just. An amazing movie. So, and it also and it's I think, important to let people know how you know white people really introduced jazz. Damien Chazelle does like making movies about white people creating jazz. Yeah, uh, <laughs> I do like La La Land, though. I think that's yeah. uh, I yeah. like it a lot, but I also do think if you've never seen a musical before, it's a good introduction to them. Yeah, oh, yeah. It's, it's in that middle ground. Yeah. Yeah. That and then my other pick is I almost put this in my top five, but I was like, you know what? I feel like this movie in general just gets talked about enough, sometimes by the wrong group of people because they like it for the wrong reasons, but Fight Club. Oh okay. yeah, yeah. Yeah. Because if you re- if you remember, like when it first came out, it didn't have the 
cultural impact that it does now. Like people were like, I don't get it. Right. Right. Roger Ebert hated it. It was, and now it's a cult movie that people quote all the time again. And unfortunately I think it grew in popularity for the wrong reasons. For, no. Oh yeah. yeah it right. was just a bunch of guys who wanted to wear red jackets and have abs. Like, yeah. it's just, just guys who think Tyler Durden is the coolest guy in the entire yeah. world. Yeah, like if Tyler Durden had a podcast, he would have the most successful podcast of all time. <laughs> right. Because yeah. Allison missed the uh, really sweet thing that I said about her during Last Dragon. Um, in La La Land, the exit that they pull off of at the end, you know, is the exit that Alice and I would get off at every day when we had to go to work. So wow. we would always... <laughs> reference la la land every single morning that we went to work <laughs> in la so yeah well that's gr- that's great um i i was gonna say that um uh what what movie were we just talking about we, fight club <laughs> fight club, yeah, fight club. You were, you, <laughs> hey listen uh you were uh obeying the first rule and was, the second rule so uh and the point is uh as we all know the point of fight club is that terrorism is okay as long as it's a hot guy with frosted tips yes so. Uh, that's, that's what I took away from it. I don't know about you guys. I, when, um, we were scared of getting nuked by North Korea, I kept having a reoccurring nightmare when I was living in California of, um, just watching bombs go off. And then when I rewatched fight club after that, I realized that somehow the end of fight club made it into my subconscious (laughs) and it ended up being a reoccurring nightmare that I kept having in LA. Wow. Damn. That's an effective film. I, I do love Fight Club, I think. Yeah. yeah. Uh, lean into the cult films. And in a way, that might be remembered it, many decades from now as like what Repo Man is to us now. So, Yeah. My question was uh, not related to this episode at all, but um, <laughs> we did talk about a lot of animated stuff. Have either of you guys heard about a movie called Twice Upon a Time that came out, um, I believe, very early 80s? Lorenzo Muzak does um, one of the voices in it. It's a it's really surreal um, animated movie that someone recommended to me for... Um, my you made me watch podcast and i can't find it at all but uh it just looks like a really bizarre animated movie yeah i'm looking up pictures of it right now it looks like it's from lucasfilm Uh, right exactly they're um uh, yeah and i had never heard of it but uh you guys should watch the trailer it's insane Okay. So okay. So you guys don't know it either. That's we don't. Yeah. Mm, okay. The animation it it's almost like a pop up children's book or something. Yeah, it's very it um sort of like Monty Python. Yeah, it's off putting a little mm, bit. Yes, like, it's creepy. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Incredible. Um. Well, I'm so, glad you guys didn't go like, yeah, you've never heard of Twice Upon a Time, and then dump the call on me and the episode. We both hold up our newly uh, pre-released copies of it on like, Criterion. <laughs> and then you, you see the episode come up, and it's just the Criterion special with Brett Hayden. 
<laughs> and then play instead of editing me out you just edit fart noises over my voice <laughs> um well thank you so much you guys this is oh, this was a lot of fun thank you both i i still feel kind of um uncultured compared to the <laughs> two of you um but yeah i'm this was a fun one i i enjoyed this opportunity a lot thank you both Hey Mike, what was your uh, what was your uh, suggestion for Johnny that you mentioned at the beginning of the episode? Oh, Strange oh, Brew. Yeah, that Johnny and I are supposed to watch Strange Brew. Which Strange how about a Criterion? Brew? Yeah, for Strange <laughs> Brew also. Okay, while we're yeah. at it, yeah, more yeah. more SCTV Criterion releases. Yeah. Uh, um, well, Brett- Strange Brew is the only movie made from an SCTV sketch, I believe. Right? Oh, really? Oh, it might be. Yeah, you might be yeah. right. Um, uh, Brett, did you want to plan <laughs> your next episode before we're done? I was just going to say, uh, make a criterion of strange brew. So it actually happens. Cause apparently <laughs> if I, if I say something, it happens for some reason, I guess. <laughs> right. Right. Um, I don't know. Uh, I mean, you had a good idea of like movies that should be released by shout factory. Oh yeah. Yeah. Like, um, yeah. Do you want to save it for like Halloween time? Yeah, do you guys want to come back together, have a little reunion for uh, sure. yeah, five could. movies that should be released by Shout Factory? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. for for like October time, like a like Scream Factory, right? Like horror Yeah, horror, yeah, yeah. horror releases. Yeah. Oh, I did say okay. Shout Factory, yeah. 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 Sounds yeah, great. Cool. We yeah, said it the, so it has to happen. It has to happen. Maybe there'll be a vaccine. There won't. Yeah. But <laughs> <laughs> if there is, maybe we can do it in person, you know. Yeah. yeah, coffee in person, like buddies. Uh, yeah, um, get together and eat some candy corn. Uh, very festive. Um, Ew. Into it. <laughs> you like candy corn and Waterworld? <laughs> uh, thank you so much, you guys. This is great. Thank Absolutely. you. This it's always an honor, and uh, I mean, getting to talk movies with the two of you is uh, just an absolute delight. It's uh, whenever I would run into Brett at comedy clubs, it, 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 I really didn't care about comedy at all. I was just excited <laughs> that I could find a new movie to put on my watch list. So yeah. that wraps up another episode of we are movies thank you so much for listening thank you again to my guests mike bobbitt and brett hayden definitely go support them in any way that you can mike is on instagram and twitter at off the mic he also hosts three great podcasts um movies for kids um you Made Me Watch, which he co-hosts with Allison Bobbitt, a previous guest on this show, and Truthcast, which is an amazing podcast that I have had the honor of being a guest on in the past. Um, you can also support Brett by following Comedy Rumble on Instagram and Facebook. They're still doing uh, joke-offs on the Instagram stories. 
Um, so go vote on those and also follow the rabbit hole on Instagram and Facebook. That's R A B B O T T hole. Um, that's the monthly house show now yard show run by Brett with his housemates, Eric Lau and Tanner Oliver. And, um, that's a whole lot of fun too. So, um, there's a lot to support in the Michigan comedy scene. That being said, you can support this show by following us on Instagram at We Are Movies Pod. You can also like the Facebook page, We Are Movies. Um, and you can also follow me on Instagram, Twitter, or Letterboxd at Johnny Mockney, J O H N N Y M O C N Y. That is all for today. I hope everyone has an important classic and contemporary day. Bye bye.